The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is Essential Conversations. Our guest today, Tracy Stanley, is a lineage holder in the Yoga Nidra tradition and co-founder of the Empowered Wisdom Yoga Nidra School. Her new book is Radiant Rest, Yoga Nidra for Deep Relaxation and Awakened Clarity. Her essay, Embrace the Transition, appears in the May-June issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. Tracy Stanley, welcome to Essential Conversations. Thank you so much, Rabbi Rami. I am so happy to be here. I am very happy that you're here because I am very interested in Yoga Nidra, and I had heard about it at a retreat that I was on, and then your book came into my my lap via the U.S. Postal Service, and it's absolutely fascinating, and I'm sure for many of our listeners, it will be something brand new, and I want to get into that. But before we do, there's a really beautiful hymn, you call it, Hymn to the Mother in the first chapter of Radiant Rest. And I'd like to open with that. Mm. So if you can read the hymn for us. Yeah. So the goddess, she is the great mother, the one who holds, nurtures, and supports unconditionally. Her body is the fertile soil of the earth, her spine a flowing river, her heart filled with a sea of liquid diamonds her eyes deep pools into an endless void. Her breath is rose-colored light filling you with love, her face radiant like the full moon. She is waiting for you to surrender into her arms so you might sleep while awake, like the divine child whose birthright is deep rest, peace, and truth. I think it's such a powerful statement. I mean, listeners to the show know that I'm very interested in the divine feminine. So this is, this is right up my alley. A little later in the book, just a few pages after the hymn, you write, Yoga Nidra connects us to the universal energy of the mother, which includes the feminine qualities of nurturing, support, rejuvenation, receptivity, and surrender. Why do you think that the connection to the mother is so vital for us at this time? Well, you know, we have been out of balance for quite some time. And I think that the pandemics, the multiple pandemics that we find ourselves in right now, uh, whether it be COVID, whether it be racism, whether it be climate crisis, they all, to me, have a thread of not honoring the divine feminine. And so I think that it's really important for us to understand that the divine feminine has really nothing to do with gender. 
it really has to do more with this idea of receptivity, nurturing, abundance. And if we want to think about it in a way where we kind of move away from the personification of divine feminine as a deity or as a personality of our own mother, we really can just tune into the earth as our oldest ancestor. And most of the time when we're in relationship with the earth, it's in this extractive relationship. It's, I'm going to go take a hike or I'm going to go enjoy nature if we're lucky. But there's never a moment for most of us where we're consciously thinking about how we can give back to the earth who gives us so much, so unconditionally. And so I think that for me, a connection to nature has been lost. And when we lose that connection to nature, we actually lose the connection to our own inner nature, which allows us to have an understanding of everything in the world, including our relationships with other people and animals and all sentient beings. And when we lose that, that I think the world can start to move out of balance. And it's been out of balance for a while. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I would say for thousands of years. Mm -hmm. I wonder if lose is the right word as opposed to robbed. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking, for, for example, because in, in Western cultures, I hate the word Judeo-Christian, but that's, it's, we'll just use that. Uh, the Bible is so important. And in the first book of the Bible, in Genesis, in the beginning, in the first chapter, we get this understanding of humanity that is really completely disconnected from, let alone the mother, just, I mean, mm -hmm. that's a given, but disconnected from nature, from the earth. You know, people are, you know, the animals are created and the, and the garden is created and the, the entire planet is flourishing. And then for no reason whatsoever, and it's a story, I don't take it as literal, but for no reason whatsoever, God suddenly creates humanity and because, and he doesn't, you know, he, obviously that's the character, mm -hmm. but God doesn't create humanity from the earth in chapter one, mm -hmm. as is done in chapter two, just says, let, let's create humanity. And then poof, there's humanity. And because humanity is disconnected, alien to, and really irrelevant to the planet, the only thing the Bible can think of them for, for them to do is to dominate and to subdue, right? And then in chapter two, you get a totally different story where the human comes from the earth, the earthling is taken from the earth like a, a rose grows on a rose bush. And there we are organic to the planet. And the job that's uh, written in chapter two, verse 15, I think, is we're there, we're here on the planet to nurture and protect mm -hmm. nature. Mm -hmm. Chapter two is, is not the chapter that people focus on the way the culture goes. It's chapter one, we're alien, we're here to dominate. And that domination is at the heart of all of our, I, I would say, all of all these pandemics you mentioned, but you know, all of our problems. How do you think... Well, first of all, do you think there's a, a return to the mother? Mm -hmm. And then how do you think this return might give us a new story? Mm. That's such a great question and powerful contemplation. And what it makes me think of is how even in the story, Eve was kind of created from Adam's rib, right? 
Well, technically, no. That's the English. In, mm-hmm. in Hebrew, Eve is taken from Adam's side, mm-hmm. and the commentaries say they were, they were male and female in one, what do you call it, like conjoined, conjoined twins. Conjoined twins, yeah. Yeah, and then they were separated mm-hmm. at the side. So it's, it's not, in the, in the Jewish interpretation, it's two equal beings. Right. In the notion of rib, yeah, then she's subservient. Right. So it's interesting, right? Because there's two and many, many more translations, I'm sure, of that teaching. And I think to to answer your question, it is essential for us to come back to the divine feminine, not only outside of us, but first inside of us, yeah. right? Because when we connect with the divine feminine inside of us, it allows us not to be fearful about resting, about surrendering, about nurturing, about loving, about forgiving, about having compassion. Instead of having this idea that we have to, as you said, dominate because of scarcity and fear and needing to be at the top of the food chain somehow. Um, and I think that once we kind of touch into that place within ourselves, we get to learn a little bit more about being human. And how does, because now we're going to come right to yoga nidra. So you have to define it for us. But then the question I have is, how does yoga nidra bring us to that point? Yoga nidra, first of all, let's, like you said, define it. So the word nidra has been kind of translated as the yoga of sleep. And it's been popularized as sleep with a slight trace of awareness. So you might hear people talk about this idea of divine sleep or conscious sleep or enlightened sleep. And all of those are really beautiful descriptions. The word nidra also has another etymology, which is ni, meaning void, and dru, to be revealed or to draw forth from. So if we think about this idea of yoga, yoga nidra, is really said to be a state of consciousness that is similar, if not the same, as samadhi, which is the final goal of yoga. So we could say that yoga nidra, the state, is peace beyond words. It's bliss. So we're talking about, first of all, a technique of yoga nidra, that is a technique of deep relaxation that allows us to completely surrender the body, allow the body to fall asleep, the physical body to fall asleep, allow the mind to fall asleep. Consciousness stays awake and aware during this process where we become aware that the body itself feels almost as though it is dissolving and we become kind of aware of our own prana and prana meaning life force. And then we are so surrendered that we allow ourselves to follow prana back to its source. So yoga nidra is really this process of dissolution, a dissolution of everything that is not real. And it's a journey towards the eternal. And so there is this other kind of definition of yoga nidra as a goddess a goddess who has the shakti or the power of repose or the power of sleep. And so we can think about yoga nidra as kind of a full system of yoga where 
the goddess is the one who is presiding over the technique that leads you to the state of consciousness that is peace beyond words. And all of those things are yoga nidra. I want to see if you can expand a little bit on this notion of yoga nidra as a yoga of dissolution. Mm -hmm. So I know a lot of people, especially women, especially women of color like yourself, who argue that the last thing they need is disillusion in a culture that, I don't know, renders them invisible and in which they're always struggling to be seen and heard. I mean, this is not universal. I wouldn't know universal, but lots of people I, I talk to, when they hear the word dissolution, they go, wait, I'm struggling to, to assert my, my, my self, sense of self. I don't want to dissolve it. How do you respond to that? Yeah, I think that there there's uh, two things or a couple of things to say uh, about that is that first of all, the black experience is not one that is universal. That's that's one. Two is that when I say that yoga nidra is the practice of dissolution, it is a practice of what we would call pratyahara, that is known as withdrawal of the senses. And those, when you withdraw the senses, it allows you to dissolve everything that is not real, which we can say is our mental constructs, our ego, all of the things that the world tells us. And as we dissolve that, we actually re-emerge and remember our true nature, which is one of supreme joy, bliss, power, radiance and effulgence. And so to me, as a woman of color, it is absolutely necessary for me to practice yoga nidra so I can remember who I really am in the face of the world trying to tell me that I am less than. In fact, yoga nidra allows me to expand myself as opposed to contract myself. Because when I am in those spaces, where there is oppression happening. I remember my practice and I remember the state of being that is yoga nidra that allows me to expand into that space as opposed to shrink and allow my voice to be heard when it needs to be heard and allow myself to be seen when I need to be seen. You put that so succinctly, so beautifully and so powerfully. And I'm hoping if, if people had this issue that they... They're, what they're hearing is that the dissolution is the dissolution of the false, the the beliefs, uh, the ideologies, the isms, whatever you want to, however you want to look at these things that make, and it's not just uh, women or, or, or people of color, but that make all of us smaller than we really are. And in order to, as you said, connect to connect to the void, to connect to the infinite of which each of us is a part. So when someone is doing because you raised this just at the end of what you were saying, I thought it was really important. When you're engaged in, oh, let's say, social justice work, when you're engaged in making your voice heard, I don't mean you specifically, but you know, people in general, when we're engaged in this kind of thing, how important do you think it is that we come from a place of spiritual practice, like Yoga Nidra, could be something else, but a place of spiritual practice, a place of, like you said, joy, a place of the capital S self, 
as opposed to the lowercase egoic self, in order to, to engage with the other in such a way as to bring about transformation. And even one last thing about it, I would say, and even because of that connection to the greater reality, you're empowered and you don't get burned out. Is that? Yeah. That? Yeah. I know that um, very recently, my dear friend and anti-racism advocate and teacher, her name is Michelle Cassandra Johnson. She had Mickey Scott Bay Jones on her podcast. And I caught a snippet of it where Mickey Scott Bay Jones, who's very well known for the poem Brave Space, was talking about the fact that people who are doing this work actually need to stay alive. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org thrive. And they need tools to be able to stay alive. And this is this is a tool to be able to continue to do the work that needs to be done, right? This is a tool that not only is uh, as a technique, now I'm speaking about it as a tool, to allow you to stay rested in a world that wants to exhaust you, that allows you to stay connected to source so that you can remember who you are, that allows you to be more clear and more dharmic in your actions so that you don't waste time distracting yourself and focusing on things that are not important. At the same time, I think that any yoga practice and probably any spiritual practice asks you to look within. It asks you to, they, you know, these practices ask you to look within, to inquire within. And once you start to become still and you start to inquire, you start to see the mental constructs that you're holding, wh whatever they may be. And you actually start to understand that some of them are not true. And some of them might not even be yours. They're passed down through generations. And so spiritual practice, as I have experienced it, specifically yoga, gives us these tools to be able to dismantle those thought patterns, those belief systems, the untruths about who we are and who the world is and how we're all connected or disconnected. And once you do that work within yourself and you heal, I feel like you are more empowered to go out into the world to heal others and to help others dismantle the structures that actually hold us in place or are trying to hold us in place. And you can't, it's very hard to do that if you haven't done it for yourself. Right. So, you know, you're talking about these, these mental constructs, these mm -hmm. narratives that, that we operate under, maybe consciously, maybe unconsciously. Can you give us, well, let me say one other thing, because they're mental constructs, but they, we embody them. Mm -hmm. So they also have a place in our physicality. So can you give us an example and just from your personal life where, where you've noticed uh, narratives that are unhealthy and that 
through yoga nidra, you've managed to dissolve those or to dismantle those? Yeah, so this this is actually the work of Sankalpa, right? And and so there's a teacher who I studied with for a long time. His name is Yoga Rupa Rodstriker, and he wrote a book called uh, The Four Desires. And the, this, the work of The Four Desires really helps to illuminate what he calls a V-Kalpa, which is basically a negative thought construct. That's something that is running in your life. And the idea is, is that you will create a sankalpa or a, a heartfelt vow or resolve. So we're talking something beyond intention. But it's not as easy as saying, I, you know, I want to be powerful, right? It needs to be something that really uh, is an antidote for the negative thought construct, which means that you actually have to do the work to figure out what the thought construct is. And that's, that is not easy work to do. Um, that work is based on some of the work of Ramana Maharshi around Vichara, which is really asking, you know, Ramana Maharshi uh, basically became enlightened as a child by asking the question, who am I, over and over and over again until he got to the essence of who he was, right? Most of us can't do that. <laughs> so we have other questions that we have to ask. Um, and so for me personally, one of the big uh, mental constructs that I was holding was that it's not safe for me to be successful. In order to be safe, I need to remain small and invisible. I need to dim my light. And so through the practice of yoga nidra, and I would really say more of a deep relaxation practice because yoga nidra is this process of completely non-doing and releasing of thought. It's a place of no thought. So when we still have this idea of a thought, which I would say that a sankalpa is a thought, I'm not sure that we're quite in that void of yoga nidra, right? But having said that, we can use the practice of sankalpa to reprogram our subconscious while we were in this kind of transitional liminal state between the waking and the sleeping and the sleeping and the waking and moving through the other layers of consciousness. So that would be a way in which someone could, uh, for lack of a better way to put it, reprogram themselves because they've done the work to figure out what is this negative thought construct that is actually leading me away from my dharma and what new construct, what, what new, let's say, vasana or coloring can I introduce into my, not only mental, all the koshas, essentially, right? We're going through the, the energetic body, the mental body, the wisdom body, the bliss body. How can I bring this wisdom in when I'm in this position of surrender, release, relaxation, and allow this new thought and this new way of being to come in as a frequency that then starts to basically pervade my entire body so that I now start to magnetize things towards me that are in alignment with the sankalpa that is dharmic. And at the same time, I begin to awaken to all of the things that I am doing that are in line with the negative thought construct that is keeping me stuck in patterns and the same lessons having to be learned over and over again. 
I'm hoping people can follow all that because I know the Sanskrit sometimes. <laughs> Wait, what is that word? But um, I, I think you're you're laying it out in a way that most most people will be able to follow. What I'm curious about is how and this maybe sounds odd, but how difficult how difficult is it to do nothing? <laughs> I think most people think of. Well, they even use the phrase, this is spiritual work. Even, even the notion of spiritual practice, I've got to do this. It's, it's, it's something I'm going to, through an act of will or, you know, whatever, I, I'm going to impose this new way of experiencing on my old ways of experiencing. But if I follow the, your, your book rightly, and if I'm understanding what Yoga Nidra is correctly, it's an act of, I get, see if I get this right, but I would say an act of continual surrender. That effort is, I don't know if the word is enemy, but effort is your enemy. And you're mm. trying to be surrendered to this greater reality that empowers us, but you can't make it happen. Is that fair? That would definitely be fair. So, you know, the, the practice of Yoga Nidra is counterculture. Because the culture tells us to keep doing, to keep grinding, to keep going, and and by whatever you accumulate and however hard you're working, that's your value. So if you're actually somebody who is resting and relaxing and not doing anything, you're not worthy. You're not worthy, right? That That's what culture tells us. But we also know that that's killing us, Right. And so the beautiful thing that is in Yoga Nidra is that you actually, in the process of being asked to surrender, you actually get to see what the resistance to resting and relaxing and letting go actually are. And that can be anything from trauma that surfaces in the form of memories, in the form of pain that have been suppressed that can be intergenerational trauma that comes into your awareness, that can be beliefs that come up. And so one of the things that is really, I think, powerful for people is to be able to free write or journal after these practices so they can remember what it is that actually comes up. Because part of this friction that happens where we encounter resistance. Because I think that a lot of times, most people, when they're doing practices like deep relaxation or even practicing Shavasana, they feel like they're, they're resting. It's like, oh, I'm resting, I'm relaxing. And that's maybe like a five minute journey. But when you're really guided to relax the body systematically over a longer period of time, you really get to know yourself at a much deeper level than I think you do in practices that are more dynamic because you're being asked to embody stillness and to invite stillness into the body and invite relaxation in a way that sometimes people will realize, oh, wow, I never actually realized that I don't feel safe in my own body. Or I never realized that I don't feel like I deserve to rest. And then when they go back into those thoughts, they realize, oh, that's because 
My mother was a domestic worker, and so was her mother before her and her mother before her. And it was something that was ingrained in our lineage that we didn't get to rest. If we didn't work, we would die. And so that mental construct is the construct that's still running. Even though I didn't have that experience, that was the experience of the people who came before me. So that's part of the inherited narratives that you talk about that uh, yoga nidra is dissolving, ideally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we we are just about out of time, and I want to have you. I mean, obviously, if this is interesting to to the listener, I'm hope you know, hopefully you go out and you buy the book. It's called Radiant Rest. But I want to have you ex just tell us a little bit about something I missed when I read the book the first time, mm. and that you pointed out to me just before we started this recording. I was concerned I was going to ask you about how important it is to have you know an actual teacher, not just the book. But as you pointed out, included in the book is a series of, I mean, you can actually study with you, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so tell us how that, how that works. Yeah, thank you for asking. So it was really important for me to have these six audio recordings available for people. So because I know that there's some people who just want to rest right? They'll read the book later or they'll listen to the audiobook later, but they want immediately to be able to rest. So in the book on page 102, the last uh, par the first paragraph, last sentence, you'll have a link there that you can access to be able to download or actually stream these practices. And as a beginner, this is perfect because really you are just allowing yourself to lay down in a comfortable position. You can put your headphones in and you can just listen to my voice guiding you through these journeys that last anywhere from, I think the shortest one is about 15 minutes and the longest one might be about 40 minutes. And so you can just find time to do this before you go to sleep or first thing when you wake up in the morning or afternoon. Anytime that you feel like you need or want to be rested, and my suggestion is to try to do these consistently for a period of time so you can really see how they have this ability to create this dissolution and loosening of effort within you over time. It's really quite a beautiful journey when, when you can do it uh, consistently. I think that's a great thing to offer people as you know as part of the part of the book. We are out of time. I hope this was something that will intrigue people to go find out more about. I have been working with it from the book because I didn't see that on page one twenty. But this is very important practice, this yoga nidra. So I'm hopefully uh, I'm hopeful that people will will take a deeper interest in it after they've heard you. Our guest today, Tracy Stanley, is the author of Radiant Rest, Yoga Nidra for Deep Relaxation and Awakened Clarity. Her essay, Embrace the Transition, appears in the May-June issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. You can learn more about Tracy's work on her website, tracystanley.com. Tracy, thank you so much for talking with us on Essential Conversations. I so appreciate you. Thank you so much. Have a great night. You too. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is the bi-weekly podcast of Spirituality and Health magazine. If you like Essential Conversations, 
please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the show on your preferred podcast app. You can also follow me on Spirituality and Health's website, where I now write a regular column called Roadside Musings. And don't forget to subscribe to the print magazine as well. Essential Conversations is produced by Ezra Baker Truppiano. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. Do you ever feel that calling that you should be doing more with your life? If you're unhappy with the status quo, I can help. My name is Elias Patras, and I'm an intuitive motivator, psychic medium, and motivational speaker. I know that feeling, and on my podcast, Your Inner Voice, I can help you answer that call to step into your life's purpose. I will show you how to recognize and listen to the signs and signals that are all around us and help you tap into your intuition. Join me for the show here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and wherever you get your podcasts. Let's connect, educate, and grow on this journey together.